want to give you guys tonight, because I think everybody's had people come up and challenge them at one time in their life, maybe before you're a Christian or after you're a Christian, why should we trust this book? It's been around for thousands of years. Is it accurate? All these different questions that come up with the idea of Scripture, okay? But here's what I want to share with you guys before I get into this. Real, real happy tonight and have you guys turn to your table. I believe this with all my heart. This book that I'm holding, the Bible, the Holy Bible itself, the word Bible literally means book. That's all it means, okay? But when you look at the word holy in front of the Holy Bible, that's where it makes a difference. So you've got a holy book that you hold in your hand or on your phone that comes from God. And I thought about this the other day. I thought, why is it? I mean, we look at Plato. We look at writings all over, all across the centuries. Nobody questions those books like they do this one. Do you ever think about that? Nobody questions what Plato wrote or Aristotle wrote or whoever wrote. No, we don't question that. We don't question our history books at school. We read them, we're like, okay, that happened. The difference, I believe, through all the other writings in the world, and this one is, this holds authority over us. And we don't like it as human beings, especially unsaved human beings. We don't like God being our authority. And in this book, there are things that we are commanded to do and we are commanded to follow. So if you ever wonder what the big beef is about the Bible, it's because it naturally has authority over people. See, get this. If you don't get anything else, get this tonight. We don't hold authority over this word. We don't hold authority over this Bible. The Bible holds authority over to us. Does that make sense? It holds authority over my life, whether I like it or not. Because whether I'm a Christian or a non-Christian, this book is true. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There's absolute truth, and it is found in this book. So if you ever wonder to yourself, why is it that everybody's always fighting about it? Well, prove to me that the Bible's true. Well, prove to me George Washington was around. Nobody hold, nobody beefs about that, do they? But the reason why is because this book has authority over my life. The question is, am I going to follow that authority? Am I going to surrender my life in such a manner that I will allow it to have authority over my life, that I will allow Jesus to be my Lord and live his way? That's a question you've got to ask yourself on the front end. So what I want you to do is turn your tables and answer one question real quick. Do you guys have a favorite book? Not a book in the Bible, but just like a favorite book that you've ever read. Mine, write this down. If you have a pen, everybody get your pen ready and get your paper out. You ready? Because I'm dead serious on this. It's called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. I would highly recommend you guys read that book if you've not done that. This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti is a fictional book, and on, it's on spiritual warfare. It's not like nonfiction. It's not like accurate truth, but it gives you an idea of what spiritual warfare is really like in the scripture. It is a great book, and if you listen to it on audio, it's really good because the guy does a great job of reading it. So turn to your tables. Do you have a favorite book that over your life that you've read, discuss that, and then we'll talk about the other rest of it in just a minute. Just to get that table to be quiet for a second, Clint, Joe, really, just saying. My job tonight is to give you guys within about 15 or 20 minutes why we should trust the Bible. That's going to be really hard for me to do. It's going to be really fast and furious, and I want you guys to go back and look at this because I've done a lot of research, and I've come to the conclusion that I don't know how, if you go do the research, I don't know how you can't find the Bible trustworthy. You literally have to go, I'm choosing not to believe. That's, it comes down to that if you'll take the time to actually investigate this. So the first thing I want to do is let's cover a couple of facts about the Bible. It was written over 1,500 years by 40 different writers, okay? 40 different people wrote the Bible. 66 books in there. 
three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, okay? It is split into two different sections, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament basically talks about the nation of Israel and God. That's the just of the Old Testament, but listen to me. When you read the Old Testament, I want you to watch for Jesus, because Jesus is woven throughout the Old Testament like crazy. When you watch for him in Scripture, he will show up every single time. So that's a few things that you want to watch for. That's just a few facts I wanted to cover on the front end. And you ever wonder about it? You guys realize that we see we have chapters and we have verses in the Bible now, don't we? That hasn't always been that way. When Paul first wrote the epistles, they were letters. They were not broke down by chapter and verse. I don't know if you guys know that or not. Around 1200, A.D. 1200, Stephen Langton was the guy's name that actually really solidified putting chapter and verse together. It was done partially earlier than that by Wycliffe and some of the scriptures, but it was really kind of validated and, and put together in its final form by Steve Langton at about A.D. 1200. So that's when you see it broken into chapter and verse. So as you're reading this, remember, at the beginning, this didn't have, it was not broke down. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or you're reading the book of Acts, or you're reading, like the book of Acts is written to Theophilus, and so is Luke, that's just a letter, and it did not have chapter and verse in it. So some of the things you need to know about the Bible, there's been some changes, but the, the, the accuracy of it is right there where it needs to be from the beginning, okay? So that's a couple of things that we need to know there. The second point is this. The Bible is, now watch this, it's not just God's word, Watch how I worded that. It is the very word of God. This is God's love letter to me. This is God's information right to us as human beings that we get. It's written by humans, but it's inspired by God. A lot of people will say, well, yeah, but didn't man write the Bible? Yes, man held the pen in their hand, and they wrote the Bible. 40 different writers, 1,500 years, three different continents, three different languages, Yes, men penned the Bible. They wrote it, but God inspired it. I never had this thought until I was sharing this at the school the other day. Has anybody in this room, think if you're a Christian, okay? Because this idea of being inspired by God and writing the Bible down, that, a lot of people struggle with that. Let me see if I can give you something you can hang on to. If you're a believer in this room, a Christian, Catherine talked about it earlier when she was praying on stage, that God's given us the Holy Spirit, to comfort me, to help me, to remind me of all the things Jesus has taught me, to be my guide through life, right? Have you ever had a moment as a believer where you're just, you know God spoke to you. You know God touched you. There's not a shadow of a doubt in your life that you know God through the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and I can get, it was almost like it was audible. Anybody ever had that moment? Think about this. That's an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why are we so afraid then if I've had that same experience, why am I so afraid to think that men, that God, his Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write Colossians? You understand what I'm getting at? We, we struggle with those thoughts. They're like, well, yeah, but I know, but God inspired them to write that down. Has God ever inspired you? Has God ever inspired you when you're going somewhere to go, don't go that way, go this way? Has God ever inspired you to go, don't fall to that temptation? When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, that's called inspiration. So when somebody talks about it as being inspired by God and written by men, don't get hung up on that. Does that make sense to you guys? Hang on to that thought because the inspiration of the Holy Spirit happens every single day of our lives when we're Christians. But yet we, we kind of get, we're afraid to have that conversation with people. 
Don't be afraid of that at all, you guys. Find comfort in that because the same spirit that is speaking to you spoke to Jeremiah, spoke to Obadiah, spoke to Zechariah, spoke to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. The same, you guys get that? The same spirit that spoke to them dwells in you if you're a Christian. Don't ask me to explain it, but I believe by that book that it's true. And the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that hovered over the water at the beginning in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it says the spirit of God hovered over the water at the beginning. It says the spirit of God rose Jesus from the grave, raised him up back to life. That same spirit lives in you when you're a Christian. There's nothing you can't do. So don't be afraid of the conversation of being inspired by God. Because first, 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For prophecy, that's God speaking, giving somebody a thought, never had its origin in human will. In other words, that wasn't from me. But prophets, through humans, through human, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Do you get that? All Scripture is inspired by God. A lot of people will say, well, Jesus never said so-and-so. Paul said it. Paul said, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven if you live this way, right? But if all scripture is inspired by God, all scripture is from God, it doesn't matter whether Jesus said it or Paul wrote it down. All scripture is, is inspired by God and is useful for t- to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us what to do right. So you got to look at that. I don't have time to get into this as much as I'd like to, but people will ask this question all the time. Well, what about the different translations? What about year after year after year after year? How do we know what was written down by these guys is accurate to us today? Make sense? you got to realize there, there were people called scribes back then, and scribes were their lifelong mission. Their job from now and forever was to rewrite the Bible, to, to translate it, to take it from one, from one piece of leather or papyrus and put it on another one. And what they would do, and I wanted to make sure I got this right, they counted all the paragraphs in what they were writing down. This is the Old Testament. Now, they counted all the paragraphs, the words, even the letters, so that they would know that they have copied it correctly. They even knew the middle of the letter to each book so they could count back to make sure it was accurate. If they had one letter off, and in the Hebrew Bible, you've got to realize, too, that they wrote from right to left. These scribes wrote from right to left. They didn't write from right to left to right. So the scribes would sit down, their lifelong mission, they had to be accountable to transferring Scripture, translating Scripture, and making it accurate, okay? The manuscripts. So they would write it down line by line by line, but they didn't write it by word. See, spot, run. I'm going to write that by word. They wrote it by letter. That's how accurate and how meticulous they were with doing this. They wrote it by letter, not by the word. And they would count. They'd get done, and they would count back to make sure that they didn't miss anything. So when you look at the, trans, the, trans, the transfer of manuscripts over the years, what we have today is extremely accurate to what they used to have. The New Testament's even more accurate. Here's why. The New Testament was written, Jesus died in A.D. 30, A.D. 33, somewhere right in there, Okay. It says the New Testament books were written around A.D. 45 to A.D. 90. That's less than 100 years. So a lot of the people that were writing these and a lot of people that were reading this stuff 
were still alive when they were writing it, and there's no um, dispute over what they had written down at all. So you look at that. That's 80, 45 to 80, 90 is when the New Testament was written. That's 35 to 100 years, and here's the deal. They got four to 5,000 manuscripts or fragments of manuscripts to this day of the New Testament. And there's no, nobody even, come, Plato, nobody questions Plato's writings. Okay, now think about this. It was within 100 years the writings were done. Plato, this, they have seven copies. The New Testament has 4,000 4, to 5,000 copies. Plato has 12, it was 1,200 years later after he died, and they got seven copies. And nobody ever questions Plato's writings. Remember how it's got authority over us? The Bible? We don't like it. People question it because it has authority over Plato's writings don't have authority over me. You look at Caesar, you look at Aristotle. 1,400 years was the latest. The as soon as, soonest manuscript we had of Plato, Arist Aristotle's writings was 1,400 years after he died, and we got five copies. And nobody questions it ever. But the Bible, we got four to 5,000 copies of the manuscripts within 100 years of Jesus Christ's death. Why would we question that? The credibility of this is absolutely incredible when you look at it. The next thing is, number third, the third point is this, prophecy. And I got to get through this quick. Prophecy accounts for a major portion of the entire Bible. This is the difference between the Quran, Hindu, any other religious book out there. No other book has anything in it like the, the Bible does because the Bible is very prophetic. In other words, it predicts things are going to happen. And we can go back and look. And the predictions come true. I think it's at the large number of the Bible has a lot of the prophecies have already been fulfilled. Prophecy is this, and its basic definition, it's a message from God. So God would speak to Jeremiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God would speak to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah would pin the book of Jeremiah. And all, all along the way, there are prophecies that are done. I'll give you a couple as an example. <clears throat> I think 25% 20, of the Bible is prophetic. That's over eight. 1,800 Bible examples of prophecy. 1,800, and most of them have been fulfilled. Here's a couple of examples. You got Abraham and Sarah. God told Abraham, you're going to have a son. His son's going to be named Isaac. Took 25 years for that prophecy to be fulfilled, but it was fulfilled, and it was true, and it happened. Again, no other religious book does that. Jesus, he said that the temple in Matthew 24, chapter 2, or Chapter 24, verse 2 says this. He said, the temple will be destroyed in Jerusalem. That was before he died in 30 AD, 33 AD. Watch this now. So about 33 AD, he said that. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed. Forty years after Jesus died, that prophecy was fulfilled. You guys get that? I want you guys to make sure that this rests on you because if anybody says, how do you know the Bible's true and the Quran's not? The Quran does have, it has no predictive scriptures, no prophecy at all, and the Bible has 1,800 prophecies throughout the whole book, and most of them have been fulfilled already. Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed. Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament tells that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Where were you guys born? Think about where you were born. Did you have any say over that? Do you think Jesus did by some miracle? Do you think Jesus said from his mother's womb in Mary, he said, hey, can you take me to Bethlehem? Because that's where the Bible says I'm supposed to be born. He has no say over that. Get this, you ready? You ready? 700 years before Jesus was born, that was penned in Micah verse 5, chapter 5, verse 2. 700 years before it happened, 
it was written down in Scripture. The other one is this, Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with you, with child, and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. 700 years, you guys, before that happened, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. No other book, no other religious book out there does this. That is one of the purest proofs of Scripture that we have, are these things have come true. The amount of prophecy in the Bible, you guys, is one thing that makes it unique among any other religious book, and I want you guys to hang on to this. And here's what the deal is. By the prophecy, the Bible repeatedly points out fulfilled prophecy, and here's what it is. Remember how we said the Bible is inspired by God? It's God's word penned by man with all these prophecies fulfilled. It's God speaking to man, and the prophecies are fulfilled through that. So we can trust that the Bible is inspired by God. That's some other things that we get to hang on to. The other part of this is archaeological finds, discoveries. Um, over, the time, over time, the writings of the Bible are proven out to be true and accurate by archaeological findings. One of them that's really, really big is the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were in, in Qumran, was the area that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, 1947 is when they discovered these. And what it was was a Bedouin shepherd was going along the, the Dead Sea, way down south on the Jordan River where the Dead Sea is, lowest point on the earth. Bedouin shepherd was going along moving his sheep, and he had the story that I've been heard historically was there, he thought there might be some sheep in a cave up on a hill. So this young kid takes a rock, and he hucks it up into that cave. <laughs> this, is, this makes my head hurt. He hucks it up into that cave, and he hears pottery crack, crash. So what's he doing? He's like, hey, wonder what that was. So he crawls up the rocks, and he goes into this cave, and they found scrolls that were 2,000 years old in those caves. Over 10 years, they came up with every book in the Bible. They found fragments or scrolls pres preserved for 2,000 years. So God took this kid, and he said, okay, now it's time. Throw a rock up into that cave. See, everybody thinks it's just coincidence. I think it's God's timing because in 1948, I think, Israel became a nation again. These things don't happen by accident, you guys. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you want to look it up on YouTube, there's all kinds of information out there. But they found either fragments or false. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, complete, complete. From written a thousand years before, they had these guys that were called the Essenes that came along about 100 AD somewhere, or BC, and right in that area. So these Essenes, they left Jerusalem, and to preserve the scripture, they went out and they were scribes, and they, they moved the manuscripts, and they copied manuscripts is what they did. And they hid them in these jars. Think about these Essenes. They took them 2,000 years before this happened. A bunch of people who left Jerusalem because Jerusalem was getting corrupt went out on their own, and they camped in this little area, and they were called the Essenes, and they copied manuscripts. That's what they did. And then they rolled the papyruses up. They rolled the leather up, and they put them in these jars, and they hid them in these caves. 2,000 years. And the only discrepancies they found in all the different manuscripts, you know what it was? Compared to what we're holding on to today, as the Old Testament goes, they found manuscripts or fragments from every book in the Old Testament, except for one, and it was Esther. But the book of Isaiah, complete, the only discrepancies they found was either punctuation marks or spelling. The context of the scripture stayed exactly the same, you guys. So again, what we have in our hands, we can trust. Um, 
I don't have time to get into the rest of it. I want to close with this, and then I'll let you guys get into your small groups. Here's the last part of this. The Bible holds the answers to some of life's tough, toughest questions. I often, you guys have heard me teach this before, and I'm going to teach you again tonight real quick. When you look at the world today, there's a lot of evil in the world. Yes? Would you guys agree? A lot of wicked, a lot of evil, a lot of confusion. Agreed? I often ask people, I said, do you think people are inherently good? Is a person just naturally good? And a lot of people will say, yeah, I think so. And I totally disagree with that. You know why I totally disagree with it? Because the scripture makes it very clear that you're not. The, in Genesis 6, it says, the thoughts of a man's heart are only evil all the time. So outside of Christ, the thoughts of a person's heart are only evil all the time because they're selfish. Jesus says, I think it's in Mark 10, when the, the young, rich, young ruler comes up and he says, good teacher to Jesus. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, Jesus, in that section of scripture, to keep it into context, is basically saying, you're right, I'm God. But if only God's good and the thoughts of a man's heart are only evil all the time and, and only God is good, the only time we're good as human beings is when we have what? The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in my heart. You guys understand? So when I look at the landscape of the land and how things are today, I don't have to be shocked that people are evil and doing stuff that I just, it's just amazing. Abortions and child slavery and all the different things. It's like, how could people be this wicked? We shouldn't be surprised because the Bible makes it very clear where evil comes from. Make sense to you guys? So that's why when we look at the Bible, it answers those questions. So the first question is, where did I come from? On the sixth day, Genesis 1.27 answers that. On the sixth day, God created man. He created them. You ready? I'm not going to get on my soapbox tonight. He created them what? To decide their own gender. No. He created them male and female. God doesn't make mistakes, you guys. He's perfect. He created a male and female. Why am I here? I can tell you why I'm here too. Look at Mark or Matthew 5:16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may they may see your good works and give glory and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Why am I here? To bring glory to God. Scripture makes it clear. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, I think it's first or second, 1 Corinthians 10:31. Whatever you eat or whatever you drink, do it to the glory of God. So why am I here? The Bible answers why I'm here. It gives you a lot of other stuff in there too, but it answers it because I'm here to bring glory to God. Why is there evil in the world? Just like we talked about, the fall of mankind in chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 1 through 7. You guys know the story. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They ate the fruit, sent into the world, and here we are. Do you realize if, if Adam and Eve had been obedient to God and trusted his word, hello, the Bible is his word, if they would have trusted his word, we wouldn't need hospitals. We wouldn't need churches. I wouldn't have a job. Uh, Neiman Marcus wouldn't be around because we wouldn't need clothes. Does that make sense? When you look at why there's evil in the world, it's because of the fall. Because of Adam and Eve, because of the federal headship, our mom and dad sinned. And they went, they went against God. And that's why there's evil in the world. How can I have peace? I just want, Dan, I just want some peace in my heart. Peace doesn't come from a circumstance, you guys. Peace comes from God, because peace is a person, not an experience. Jesus says, peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it as the world gets it, gives it. So do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You want peace in your heart? You give your life to Christ? You'll know peace in your heart. Last one is, what happens when I die? That's a big one. What happens to me when I die? I can tell you what happens to you when you die. Because it says this, to be apart from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
And what happens after I die is the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Listen to me. If you're ever thinking about anybody who's involved in a suicide or a thought of a suicide, I want you guys to get this. If you're in this youth group and you ever wonder, should I take my own life? Should I, I, don't, I don't matter to anybody. Should I just take my life? I want you to remember this forever and ever and ever. You always matter to one person. And that one person is Jesus Christ. And he didn't just tell you that he loves you. He gave his life to show you that he loves you. So if you're ever in the darkest moment in your life and you get yourself stuck where you think, I'm done, I can't do it anymore. The only hope I have is death. Don't you do that to yourself. Don't you ever allow the devil to isolate you in such a manner that you think you're not worthy and nobody loves you because Jesus Christ gave his life for you and he loves you. And I promise you this, he'll be talking to your heart, but it's up to you to listen to him. So cutting anything that has to do with harming yourself, don't you ever think that, you guys, because it is, it is a lie from the pit of hell. Because you do matter, and you look at me. Every one of you look at me. If you ever doubt this, you look at my face, and you know I love you dearly. And every leader in this room does, and that's why we show up every Wednesday night, so you might know your worth and your identity in Christ and not what people say about you. Does that make sense to you guys? So you make sure you do that. Turn to your groups. Take a few minutes. Sorry for a little longer tonight, but yeah, take a few minutes, and we'll wrap it up here in just a second. Okay, everybody, if I can have your attention back to the front of the room. If you guys want to keep visiting, you can, but I want to wrap this up so you guys can get home and do your homework. So here's what I want you guys to get for tonight, okay? Go look up the Dead Sea Scrolls. Go study some of the prophecies, some of the archaeological findings in Scripture. They're all over the place, okay? So remember, 1,800 prophecies in Scripture. Most of them have been filled, but here's what I like about the Bible. The Bible reveals God's thoughts toward us. The Bible, will, God will tell you who he believes you are in Christ in Scripture. But we've got to read it and we've got to take that by faith and believe what God says about me. So the Bible reveals God's thoughts towards us and it reveals his plans for us as well. So if you ever want to know why you're here, you're here to bring glory to God. And if you're not glorifying God in what you're doing, change it. Go a different direction. Ask God to help you have victory over that. Because we walk in victory. We don't walk in defeat as Christians. And then the other thing it does, it gives you the principles to live by. It gives you godly principles to live by. I have watched people over my life who do not follow God, who do not even know God, who aren't saved, but they live biblical principles and they have a very blessed life. That's not going to get them to heaven, but if the principles that God gives us to live by will honor him and bring glory to him and benefit us. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Life is hard. Jesus tells us, you will face trials of many kinds, but take heart. I have overcome. So we walk in victory because of what our Savior has done for us. And why do we know that? Because of this thing called the Bible, the Holy Bible. The word Bible means book, but that's why it says Holy Bible on the cover of this, because it's God's word to us. In the beginning, in the beginning, Jesus, in John 1, 1, the word was God, the word was with God. Make sense? And that word is Jesus Christ. So the reason why we believe God's word is because we're believing in Christ when we do. Make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. And I am grateful, Lord, for your word, for the Bible, for the truth, for the absolute truth that you give us in scripture. I pray for each person, including myself tonight, who's listening to my voice, Lord, that we would do one thing. We would surrender to the authority of you over our life through your Holy Spirit, through your word, and through Jesus Christ being our Lord. And as, as I think Joshua said so long ago, Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I pray for these students that in their homes, 
they can serve the Lord no matter what the circumstances is in their own homes right now as they sit no matter what their age is. And we do this all by your grace and by your mercy. And may we do it to your glory. So thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.